Welcome to the Yoga Church Sunday Sermons. These sermons are filmed in the place I'm lucky enough to call my backyard, so you might hear the sounds of birds, geese, roosters, trains, and wind, and sometimes my sweet pup Indy. I'm good at wrestling with big questions, but I'm not necessarily great at distilling what I learn in ways that will make sense to a five-year-old. As I shared last week, my young niece recently asked, who's Jesus? I did my best to answer her in last week's Easter sermon, but my sister's probably gonna have to do some translating work for me. And this week's sermon, which is a continuation of the conversation about Jesus, takes us even takes us into even more complicated territory. So I'm sorry, sister. <laughs> but today on Orthodox Easter, we'll pick up where we left off last week. Let me begin by reading the end of the Gospel of Mark, which is the resurrection story I read every Easter. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I love this story because it's both utterly normal and utterly strange. The women were coming to anoint the body, and as they walked, they wondered how to move a rock, right? All such normal aspects of life, but the rock had already been moved and the body that they had come to anoint was gone. There was a man who simply said that Jesus had been raised and oh yeah, he'll meet you in Galilee. The women ran away in terror and amazement, telling no one. This strange, abrupt ending to the Gospel of Mark, and please don't read those later add-on endings, is designed to leave you with questions. It's designed to send us immediately flipping back the pages to the beginning, to read the story again, this time with an understanding that Jesus is somehow different. I love Easter because of the potential I find for hope and justice in its story. The story of Good Friday, the story of Jesus's death, tells of the evil present in our world. Innocent people are tortured and killed every day. Those of us lucky enough to escape this kind of suffering must be brave enough to look it in the face because otherwise we will never be brave enough to stand against it. Easter Sunday, the story of Jesus rising from the dead, ignites our imagination toward the possibility of rising out of the evil that plagues us. 
We must have faith that evil doesn't get the last word, that death doesn't win. This story can help us muster the courage to work for a just world. The stories found in religious scriptures, holidays, and liturgies were written by people just like you and me. People trying to do their best to deal with the oddly beautiful, complex, chaotic, often evil world in which they lived. We can use their stories as we attempt to do the same. But we must be careful about how we use these stories. Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, at least in the story of Christianity. And within this powerful narrative, belief in Jesus' death and resurrection are commonly said to bring a person salvation. The problem with this concept of individual salvation stemming from a God who apparently views justice as a punitive bargain is the effect it has on humanity's relationship to God, suffering, and sin. In the words of theologian Rita Nakashima Brock, to make claims that any person's tragic, painful death is divinely willed or necessary for others to be saved mutes our ability to be angry about unnecessary suffering. To make claims that any person's tragic, painful death is divinely willed or necessary for others to be saved mutes our ability to be angry about unnecessary suffering. If we live with the assumption that we are saved, that evil has already been defeated, and that salvation can be offered to all of humanity by offering them belief in Jesus' death and resurrection, how are we to fight the hidden and explicit injustice and suffering that exists in our world? We can't. But the bigger problem is that we often don't even think we need to. When the Christian narrative is interpreted through the lens of capitalism, we start to believe in a punitive God balancing a score. If we understand the crucifixion and resurrection as stories of debt being paid to balance the books, we can easily assume that our salvation and the defeat of evil have already been handled. And we are excused from the very real work that needs to be done here and now. This understanding of the Christian narrative allows for the acceptance of, rather than the salvation from, suffering. If we are to be saved, we have to work out our salvation together. In the most basic of terms, salvation refers to an act of saving, of preserving from disaster or harm. What kind of disaster or harm does humanity need to be saved from? Well, for starters, how about the sins of greed, violence, racism, misogyny, homophobia, and oppression that lead to poverty, hunger, loneliness, and fear? Jesus's message was to love God with everything that we've got and to enact our love by giving it to our neighbors. Following his way, we must take responsibility for how our belief structures and our work and our actions impact the world. Only then will salvation be possible for ourselves and for our neighbors. Salvation isn't about 
clearing a debt. It's about abundant love. Every time people influenced by the spirit of love and generosity and kindness actively stand against violence and oppression, humanity is brought one step closer to understanding the meaning of salvation in our lives. It's not about any one of us. It's about all of us together. Discussing Guatemalan poet Julia Esquivel's work entitled, They Have Threatened Us with Resurrection, Parker Palmer writes, for Esquivel, there is no resurrection of isolated individuals. She is simply not concerned about private resurrections, yours or mine or her own. Each of us is resurrected only as we enter into the network of relationships called community, a network that embraces not only living persons, but people who have died and non-human creatures as well. Resurrection has personal significance if we understand the person as a communal being, but it is above all a corporate, social, and political event, an event in which justice and truth and love come to fruition. To which I say, amen. In the privileged West, the culture to which I belong, almost nothing is valued more than individual personhood. And while I fall victim to this mode of thinking too often, I'm never able to fully suppress the feeling that I am but a small part of the mysterious unity that is all things. You and me and everything else we are all small parts of the mysterious unity that is all things. And it is in this unity that we will find the spirit of God and the grace of salvation. We are never saved alone. The more we connect with one another, the more we'll be able to work together for our communal salvation, where justice and truth and love come to fruition. Religion and its stories and symbols do not exist for individuals or individual salvation. Together, we must remember the sacred mystery that is our existence. Together, we must work toward our collective resurrection. We must rise up against oppressive systems. If we want to make the Easter story matter in our lives, we can follow the way of Jesus and learn to love. We can love God with everything we've got and give our love to our neighbors, all of our neighbors. Together, from the spirit of God that exists within us all, we can work toward abundant love and shared salvation. Don't forget to sign up for the Yoga Church Retreat happening July 7th through 11th, 2019 on Bainbridge Island. I hope you'll join us. Get reflection questions, join the discussion, subscribe at summercushman.com.